Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I'm your co-host, Sean Kenny, with the Republican Standard, sitting opposite partner in crime, Marty Davis with the Fredericksburg Advance. Marty, how was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? Oh, wow. It was uh, it was wonderful, other than the five days when I had the flu. Um, oh. Ooh. That's what you got for Christmas was the flu? That's right. That's what Santa Claus brought me. Uh, yeah, was I was going to say, what did you say to Santa? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go back and listen to that tape and see what I did to, uh, to, Ouch, to tick him off, man. But uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a really good case, let me tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, on the upside, uh, my son was home on pre-deployment leave, and we had... Just some great time with him, and uh, it was really nice. Uh, really hard to say goodbye yesterday. Yeah, uh, very hard to say goodbye. But um, he's ready to roll. He's good. You know, he's 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 ready. So, um, and spent a lot of time reading a lot of really bad essays uh, oh. over the holidays. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, how many more of these have I got to read? And um, uh, and then broke a lot of really big stories. Um, yeah, it was a good good week good week for for the advance, wasn't it? It was a great week. You know, we had the fiasco uh, at Riverbend High School with the swim team, um, which uh, became the most read story of the year, and not by a small amount. I mean, right, it was just a runaway smash hit, um, and it was unfortunate because you know about forty seven forty eight kids are the ones who are being hurt by this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the rough thing. Though the good news is for those who are actually listening, and we'll probably get this on Tuesday. We do have a really big interview coming up next week, but we're keeping the secret on that until it actually releases. Shh. Yeah, but everybody's going to want to read this one because it's going to be good. So, but, yeah, but this is uh, you know so good times. I mean, the news keeps coming and and all that fun stuff, and we're doing a pretty good, pretty decent job of covering it. And we're doing our best. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I was spent a lot of time in the Stratford County this week um, uh, covering uh, data centers and board meetings. And um, I'm a Spotsylvania County boy, so I'm sorry to hear that. And it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do what you got to do, man. But you know, Monday night we have the uh, reorganization meeting for the Spotsylvania School Board. Um, yeah, that's like must see TV. I know popcorn uh, and fireworks and. <laughs> 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 I hope the bandwidth's wide enough on that one because everybody's going to be watching it from their couches and like, let's see what happens. Hopefully it's not that way at all. Hopefully it's very organized and very sincere and they get back to the task of doing what school boards ought to do so, rather but, than... Yeah, let's hope we can get back to the days in Spotsylvania when you could not worry about what was going on with the school board. Because it was like watching paint dry. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of what you want and that's not what we've had and it's not what we've got right now so let's hope for uh, better days ahead sure at least something more productive for the students yes. whom they're supposed to be taken care of rather than the drama which helps no one absolutely absolutely and how about you sean how how was your holiday and how did things go pretty fair i got uh, all seven kids back home so that was good um we've had them for the vast majority of it and for, of course in studio with us is silent john who is my oldest son um jonathan goes back to mount saint mary's tomorrow for seminary where we will lose him probably for the rest of his vocation because he's not coming back until after Easter and then he gets assigned to a parish and um, all that fun stuff as he's doing his discernment. So if you are of the you know vein of, of praying, then yes, please pray for him. And then if you're not and it's uh, you know happy thoughts, then send good thoughts. So you could use both. So. Well, Jonathan, from uh, everybody here at the New Dominion Podcast, Best of luck to you. It's quite a quite a, a path you've chosen, and they need good people. And I know, 
Um, if you are um, in your father's footsteps, you'll be one of those great people. So good luck to you. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure he'll do just fine. But then we, you know, we got the, you know, everybody else is at the house, and so all the the younger kids are happy to see the older ones, and then everybody leaves, and it's back to absolute silence in the house, which is just Definitely. weird. Yeah. <laughs> So, my, so there it is. My daughter is coming home Saturday. So I'm, oh, or, from Denver? She's flying or in Colorado? From, from, from Boulder. Uh, it, though, you know, this I learned a very important lesson. Like when you agree to buy plane tickets home for your daughter, mm-hmm. um, don't just say, okay, I'll pay for it. Buy the tickets. Buy the tickets. Because uh, she, I sent her the money, and she don't remember what it was. I wired her the money, and then uh, I didn't hear back from her. About three hours from her. So, Katie, what time uh, does your plane land? At five thirty on Sunday. Oh, okay. That's not that's not so bad. You know, I can um, probably ride to the first football game. Oh no, Daddy. Five thirty in the morning. Ooh. And I'm like, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Is she flying out like Dulles or National? Dulles. Oh boy. And of course, the really funny part was she said, you know, I, I want it to be a surprise for mommy, so don't tell mommy. And I'm like. Sweetie, I can come up with a lot of lines to get out of the house most any time of the day, but I think Daddy creeping out of the house at three at o'clock, three in, o'clock the morning, in the morning ain't going to be one of those. That times. ain't going to be one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> I think Daddy's going to be in a lot of hot water if I try that stunt. So, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I love you, but not that much. Right, 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 right. Thankfully, all mine just drive to places, so I just got to drop them off that way. It was excellent sport network of Virginia schools, so there you I'm, go. I'm good to go on that one. Um, so, and then of course, we got the general assembly firing up next week. So. Oh, the time people listen to this, it's going to be a lot of changes at the General Assembly. Yep. Obviously, we have a new speaker. It's the first African-American speaker of the House ever in the, the 400-year history of the Commonwealth. So it's a big deal. It's sort of the, the death rattle of the bird Democrats as you have a progressive majority now, which is more of a history item than people really want to consider. Um, but this is like the, the, the old school Virginia Democrat is gone. Yep. This is the new school. And that's a big transition um, that I don't think is getting enough coverage, but uh, or at least enough discussion. But it's it's this is not this is not your daddy's Repu- Democratic Party anymore, right? Uh, no, this is- just like it's not your father's Republican Party anymore. <laughs> Everything has changed. Please don't you know. remind me. <laughs> Everything has changed, Sean. But uh, you know, uh, it's huge. It's bigly. It, it's, it is. Uh, it is bigly. But I will uh, say, you know, one of the more interesting conversations I had this week was that I met with uh, I met with someone for coffee that uh, has sat here at this table at this microphone, mm-hmm. uh, Joel Griffin, and we had a wonderful conversation about sort of what candidates go through. Oh yeah, and um, and you know, got to learn to take the vinegar out of some of this discussion um, mm-hmm. because um, when, you just, when you're sort of standing in the arena, um, it's a different world. And, and Sean, you've talked about this a lot as someone who's run and lost and won and ran, or run and won and run and lost. Um, sort of what it's like to, to bear your soul and knowing full good and well that half the population is going to tell you to go jump in the lake. Yeah. A um, fire and die. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it, it, but this is, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, I, is this the present state of politics, right? I mean, we've talked about how it's changed over the last 20 years. Like, is it, I mean, is anybody think it's getting better? And, yeah, you know, well, we, we talked about, there was an article we shared about, you know, the concept of moral mediocrity, right? Yep. It's like, where's the baseline of society? And if people just kind of rise up to that baseline of where the public conversation is, and if it's what you see on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC or your local newspaper and how we talk about the big ideas is the baseline, then everybody's going to behave that way. And if you elevate the discourse a little bit, maybe it aspires to the angels of our better nature rather than just picking up a rock and throwing it at the nearest person and 
cheering when we when we when we smack somebody upside the head, which accomplishes nothing. It makes us feel good for five minutes, um, but then you deal with the consequences afterwards, and um, that it just doesn't serve the public good. It doesn't serve the common good, and it doesn't serve human beings, as you know we've talked about frequently on this podcast, Corey. Right. As Corey's nodding vigorously in the corner. <laughs> well, you know, talking about uh, talking about your better angels and the common good, right? You know, we've got a guest in the studio tonight who uh, we all want to do well in this world, uh, however you may define that. But our guest tonight, Vernon Green, has done well in so many areas of his life, uh, not the least of which is the impact he's had on the lives of so many people, students within uh, Stafford County. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's a real joy, Vernon, to, to have you here. I want to welcome you and um, say we're, we're just really thrilled to have you here tonight. Thank you so very much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Um, to be honest, I've already enjoyed the conversations that we have, so I look forward to uh, expanding on some of those topics. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation about the youth and, and your son and your uh, your son that's serving and your daughter that's coming in. And so I have three daughters as well. Um, I will add, since we talked about Christmas, um, the cruise went very well, although we were in a, um, a storm at sea, which made a lot of people sick. All are here local uh, to work for, well, all three work for the company. We'll get into that in conversation. But I love the fact that you started with family and the holidays. That was awesome. Well, that's that's pretty much uh, we're, we're a lot about that. And you know, speaking of family, I had the the real pleasure of seeing a little bit of your family up close. You have a really impressive daughter who is like your CFO. Like what 20, 22, 23? She's twenty three. She'll be twenty four uh, January twenty third, and she's been um, in my finance department ever since she was in high school. And she found that she liked the numbers. I let her work in the finance department and then eventually she, she took over finances and she is running the finances for a multi-million dollar organization at age 23. That's, That's pretty awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. So, so I mean, was it just like being around the business is where she just kind of developed a love for finance? Because I, honestly, you dropped me in a finance condition. I'm like, this is boring. Like, <laughs> can I go like play with the toys? Like, <laughs> well, so... You know, I, I was considered mean dad because dad made all the kids work at the company. It nice. was really about exposing them to different things. So I rotated my kids through HR, through uh, operations, through finance, through um, whatever the, whatever I could get them into. But when she got to finance, she said, I, I love the numbers. It makes sense. It, 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 she just clung to it. And now she's submitting my bank reports. So she's doing my line of credit. She's doing my uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable. And she, she's made herself very um, <laughs> needed. I need I'm her. In indispensable at this <laughs> indispensable. rate. Indispensable. <laughs> she, she came, she said, Dad, I'm thinking about doing something else. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you going to do? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was just thinking about something else. Um, well, look, uh, as... As your dad, I'm happy for you. But as the business owner, I kind of need you to give me a little bit more headway, a little bit more notice. Um, but she's been doing great. As a matter of fact, she just bought her own uh, her first house, moved out. 
um, I'm, I'm a very proud dad. Good well, you job. should, you should be. And, and you know, one of the things that really struck me about, uh, the evening, uh, at, at your company with your, with your company Christmas party, one was the, the, you know, the, uh, the game night, right? I mean, with the, you know, uh, I was, I was at the 21 table losing money left and right. Um, but, um, not, not real money folks. It yes. was, it was pretend money. It was a fun, fun night. Right. I, I would bet $600. We're like, man, you're brave. Like, no, this is all fake. So I can do whatever <laughs> I want to do. But, um, you know, one of the really special things that I found about the time that I had, the very limited time I had with your company and your employees there was, um, you know, your your passion for your people really came through. You know, a lot of times people get up and they talk about their employees like, oh, well, Bob over here did this. Thanks for being here, Bob. But no, there was like real passion and fire coming out of your voice uh, that night. It's clear that you you don't just hire people. You know your people. You know what's going on in their lives. You're tied into them. Um, I was always taught in the military. I spent 20 years in the Army, and I've been to war four times. Um, I've led men and women in some very serious um, situations. And through the leadership experience and training, the only way to truly lead people is to genuinely care about them. When you genuinely care about them, you make decisions based on that care as well as the mission. And so what I believe is as long as I take care of my people, they will take care of the mission and we will all be successful together. So tell us about your company, G-Cube. I mean, tell us what it's all about. And uh, and, and you're into so many fascinating things, e-gaming. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, G-Cubed, um, G-Cubed Enterprises was founded April 24th, 2014. And uh, a lot of people ask me, well, did you know you wanted to start a business? I didn't know I wanted to start a business to the day I started the business. I had it was never something. Oh, when I grow up, I'm going to run a business or anything. But um, I retired out of the military um, March 31st. I was working a part time job for uh, another government contracting company. And they they hired me to do cybersecurity uh, business development. And so I got there and I'm like, okay, um, do I have a team? They're like, nope, it's all you. And I was like, okay, who's writing the pro- proposals? You are. So I'm like, okay, I'm looking for opportunities and I'm writing the proposals and I send the proposal in and we win. And I go back to my CEO and I'm like, hey, we won one. Who's going to do the work? He says, <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I get on a plane. I fly down to Texas. I spend a month in Texas. Uh, doing some work for uh, the banking industry and some uh, cyber sensitive stuff. And then uh, I come back and, I, and I'm and i like, OK, I wrote the proposal. I did the work. If I'm going to do all this stuff for someone else, can I do that for me? I'm a veteran. I'm a minority. I get preference within contracting. Um, so I go to my boss and I said, hey, I think if I start a company and partner with you, we'll both be great. Right. Well, my boss didn't see that, see it that way. He says, um, I will only allow this if you give me 50% of your company. And I said, wait a minute. So you want 100% of yours and 50% of mine, even though I'm going to be the one bringing in the work. And so it, it didn't go. It didn't go well. Um, I wind up leaving the organization and um, started my own company in April. Got my first contract June 1st. And I've never looked back. Um, we are a cybersecurity and IT government contracting company. We are ISO 9000, ISO 20000, ISO 27000 certified, as well as CMMI Level 3 for services and development. Uh, we work primarily with the federal government, but we do 
um, take care of some um, some uh, doctors' offices, some churches, some some commercial things, some school initiatives. Um, so we, we're well-rounded government IT contracting company with a lot of great past performance. But I tell you, the people who know me will tell you that I'm only in business to support my nonprofit habits. I need to make money so that I can give it to my nonprofit and create programs and, and take care of people and uh, create opportunities. Um, uh, and, and as we were having our conversation earlier about the whys, because I, I feel like the whys are so important. You know, I, I grew up very in humble beginnings in New York and I didn't have, and, and we lacked tremendously. My mom fought very hard to keep us. I, I did stints in foster care, um, even stints um, being homeless. And so coming from that, it, it gave me a level of appreciation and a level of hunger to change my situation. And I didn't have a lot of good examples of of how to or what I should be doing. So I, I stumbled and I failed forward a lot, um, including joining the military. I mean, the people in my family minority communities, they, they said I was crazy for being a black man joining the white man's army. You know, there's no place for us there. But it was an opportunity that I had to change my situation, provide for my family, earn a living, get educated. The military is one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, gave me um, discipline, structure, a career, um, education, just so much. And so all those things together have created an uh, opportunity for me to start a company based on the Army values, based on my um, care, genuine care for people, and based on my technical skills and education, which I fought so hard and demonstrated in the military. Nice. So the the cybersecurity, just going to touch on this real quick. This is an emerging field. That's an evolving field. It's not, I mean, even what it is today, what, that's not what it was six months ago, 12 months ago. Talk to me about how you stay on top of this, some of those things, especially when you're talking like doctor's offices and some of the scams, they, they, they lock up their information and so you got to negotiate with somebody in Romania or tell them to punt. The truth of the matter is um, it's an emerging field because as technology advances, opportunities for that technology advance. And so we tell people um, there is no bad technology. There are bad users mm-hmm. and how you utilize it. So um, how we stay on top of it, uh, to be honest, it's just a lot of talking, conferences, uh, working things out, whiteboarding. Um, we, we The uh, CISA, which is a government organization that puts out threat warnings, we monitor the threat warnings and we try to implement, get ahead of them and uh, implement them ahead of time. There's things like uh, zero trust, uh, trust nothing until it's verified. That's the way we have to operate in order to protect our cyber boundaries and our cyber borders. So um, in this world right now, it's only going to get worse. Mm. Um, the more the, the world has become a connected place, um, it's not just connected for the good guys. It's connected for everyone. And those b- malicious players, um, the, they play on not only our um, – the reason why we're so susceptible is because we are so accustomed to making things easier, right? The comfort aspect. 
And so why do I need to go into the office when I can sit on my computer and connect to the resources? But by establishing that connection, you provide a pathway for bad guys. And so because we're so tied to comfort, we are also welcoming those opportunities for exploitation. So it's not getting any better. So that's what I'm hearing. (laughs) It's it's not getting any better. And and the truth of the matter is we need far more um, cyber and security minded people working in the workplace because it's so simple. I mean, my mom called me one time and she says, oh, I got this email and it said blase, blase. And I'm like, ma, that's a hoax. Tell me you didn't click on it. Well, I clicked on it. mm." So after a new computer and fixing everything, you know, she's back up. But the number one thing is training. If we train our workforce, we uh, train our young people, we train our kids in what to look for and what to be aware of then we can at least try to mitigate those things. Yeah, you, it kind of touches on like the so, like how do you use social engineering? And it's like, it's a lot easier to go to, to, to the elderly or people who just aren't, like click on this PDF and then that the, that alone creates the pathway. Just the to, click. Just the click, just yep. a click. And it's just training people, don't do that. Or it, when somebody say, hey, I'm such and such, I'm with, you know, I've got this connection. Just could you just do this one thing for me? And I'm, I'm, the other thing is, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably, probably is. is. <laughs> it probably is. You know, the prince of um, some country in Africa leaving you a billion dollars. Don't click on that email. You know, <laughs> uh, right. there's a lot of things out there. Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, just this morning, I got one that said um, it came from a member of my team, supposedly. Um, and it said, I'm having problems with my pay. Can you change my direct deposit to this new bank account? Nice. Um, and what they do, but because I'm a professional, I know what to look for. If you hover over the name, it will show the true email address. And so when you look at the email address, it didn't come from the person that sent it. It was someone else just using a name tag on a, another email address. And so we we look for these things. Um, another popular one. Uh, is when I get new employees, they always seem to get an email from the CEO saying, hey, I'm in a meeting. I need your help. Can you run down and buy some um, some uh, uh, cards, the uh, prepaid cards? Uh, scratch off the thing. Give me the number. I'll pay you back when I get to the office. I've actually had three or four people fall for that, um, new young employees. And so now we don't even give them their email address until they do all of their cyber training, everything else. You, you can't even get on our network until you get through those trainings. This is the other one that's kind of popular right now. It's a, it's not catfishing, but it's a, it's a different variant of it where they send you a text and it's like, hey, I'm I'm Anna from such and such. And turns out it's somebody in Thailand with a script. Exactly. And they're just walking down that script. Is like, can you just put money in this ETC? Can you exactly. put money in whatever? And people fall for it and they're dumping tens of thousands of dollars into this thing. They're taking advantage of your kindness. Yeah. Uh, and you're also, I hate to say it, but your ignorance. Um, and so I, I, one thing I always talk about is if, if you really want to be safe, practice zero trust, which uh, there are a lot of different, a range of um, answers to that. There are very technical answers for it, but just in a simple mindset, don't trust it. Yeah. So this is a very, very brutal segue into politics, right? But this is one of those things we were talking about a little bit earlier about sometimes culture kind of affects the way we talk and things of this nature. And so here's something where it's 
like literally tactile. Everybody has a cell phone, right? And so you practice zero trust in these interactions that are somewhat abstract. And then you have to deal with it in politics where the interactions are abstract on social media. And then you meet these people. And do you find, I mean, this is kind of like stepping away and kind of, you know, getting a little bit closer to Stafford County politics, maybe Virginia politics writ large, but the coarsening of the discourse due to technology and sort of like, you know, we say zero trust on this end, but gosh, if we had a little bit more trust in one another on the political ends, like how do, how, I mean, you've got to have some insights. So th- th- there's, there's two parts to that. There's the personal um, interactions that you, that you just uh, talked about, but there's the, the technology and the use of technology. One thing that has happened through the use of social media is everyone has a voice. Everyone has a voice. You can reach thousands and millions of people no matter who you are now. And what that has done is giving, um, once again, malicious people a, a voice in a environment where you can practice anonymity, um, which protects that person with the malicious intent. Um, but politicians are using it in a totally different way. Um, one of the things I hated about this campaign um, all the candidates were pointing at each other saying the exact same thing. Like this person supports this uh, abortion, this person supports uh, uh, cutting taxes or raising taxes, whatever. They were accusing each other of the exact same thing. And and this doesn't just happen from an individual perspective. When you look at the, you touched on it a moment ago, our news is no longer unbiased. Every news outlet is owned by a player that has an agenda and shapes the news to sh- to meet their agenda. Right. So who do you trust when the owners are they're They're basically feeding their message to you in the form of news, which is supposed to be unbiased so that we can form our own opinions. We've lost that somewhere. Everyone is pushing their agenda and these these channels and and and, and I I mean, we say Fox News. People in my house don't even like Fox News because it's always such a slanted one way topic. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, CNN does a great job. Uh, There are some others that do a good job, but but none of them seem to be just reporting the facts and letting us shape our own opinions. It seems kind of interesting, like the the influence of technology on the public discourse, right? So we we seem to be driving towards a singularity of some type. Um, But then that singularity, it's almost like like the opposite of diversity is university, right? It's one sort of monolithic perspective. And and to some degree, I mean, you could look at Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and everything else and say, well, we're kind of sort of getting these perspectives. But what we're really, if you take one step back and you're really just getting is noise. Great. That now that is exactly right. It's noise. And part of the issue is we don't even know where the noise is coming from. There are so many foreign players within that noise to keep things chaotic, to keep things crazy. Um, there, we, we have this uh, game we used to play in my office. Um, in my office, we have a very safe place to talk about very, um, highly offensive types of issues. Um, and so uh, we would sit and talk about what white Facebook says versus what black Facebook says. And we would, you can put a search in my phone, in my Facebook, and I take a white person and put the same words in 
and we get totally different content. And what we're talking about is the algorithms that are generated within these social media outlets that feed you more and more of whatever you're looking for. If you're looking for bad, it's going to give you bad. If you're looking for good, it's going to give you good. But they're also separated by um, ethnic, ethnic backgrounds and ethnic issues. And a lot of them are meant to keep us at each other's throat. And that's not all coming. Now, some of it is politically driven within our nation, but some of it is Russian based, Korea, uh, China based, all these different areas that just have a benefit to keeping us at each other's throat. It's just trying to like effectively like trigger that amygdala, trying to trigger your animal spirits versus engaging your cerebral cortex, which is that reasoning faculty that we all have. Exactly. And it's, it's a, you know, Facebook makes money when you keep scrolling through and clicking and responding and winning arguments on the internet. And oh, wow. <laughs> uh, we, I, I have this um, term, I call it uh, Facebook thugs. You know, you, you're very brave on, on social media. Um, during the last political um, uh, election right here locally, I kept getting these profiles that would come up and just, um, I made a sizable donation to a candidate that I believed in. And the response was, how could you waste this money? You could be doing so much more for your community. You are, uh, you are disgusting. And, and at first I, I replied to this person. I try to reply to everyone. Honestly, I really do. I want to hear things, but when I did the research on the profile, it was a fake profile. It was just somebody sounding off. It wasn't someone that was going to truly engage. Um, they were just trying to cause problems. And But what I will say is the profiles are tied to certain candidates. There are certain followers. So these candidates actually have um, people that are out doing their dirty work. Sure. And, and so they go out and they cause this ruckus. They try to cause distractions, take you away from the truth. Um, As a business owner, I am very active in politics. I believe that my business gives me the platform to affect politics. I don't want to run for office. I don't. I I get asked all the time, are you going to run for office? No, I am not. Um, And to be very honest, I've done enough bad in my life that I don't need politics digging up all the wrong that I've done. I don't want to air all of my uh, dirty laundry on CNN or the news. Look at the top Um, of the ticket there, Vernon, though. It seems to be a plus nowadays. You can fly on airplanes now (laughs) to special islands and still. But dragging my kids and my family through all that is not something I'm interested in. But. I do want to be a factor. I want a seat at the table. I want to be influential and impactful for who's good for us. And so I do back. I don't back parties. I back people. Um, I found good people on both sides and I have backed people on both sides. Um, But when during this last race, one of the things that I realized is as much as I am not about the parties, the parties have so much power that you actually have to play the game a certain way. And so um, I backed an independent, Monica Gary, mm-hmm. who I truly believe in. I do believe she was the best candidate. But the parties had so much power, so much money. The other parties were uh, the other candidates were on the TV constantly barking at each other, giving this this imagery of um, of of. <laughs> I'm just going to call it untruth. Sure. It, it, it's just untruth. And but um, 
for me to back a candidate that I believed in and then be called disgusting for exercising my right and supporting and, and playing in the political realm, I thought that was um, it was a little eye opening because I know where it came from. We won't go into that right now, but it hurt me, though. It, it did hurt me. Um, these candidates are people that I've worked with for a long time. Uh, Joel Griffin and I we're in business together. We've been on contracts together. I've subbed to him. He subbed to me. Um, Josh Cole, Monica Gary, um, a lot of these candidates, they're people that I've worked with. And so I love when they're in the community doing the work, but somewhere along the line, um, it comes back to that. Why, why are you running? And too many people are running for selfish reasons. Too many people are running for power and running for for fame or fortune or whatever, but not about serving the people and helping the the people that are in need. Um, I keep finding that the gap uh, between the haves and the have nots in this country is growing. The middle class is disappearing. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. And we all know it. But politics is set up to keep that moving in that direction. And we should be serving those people who can't or can't make those decisions or or impact those for themselves. So I will continue to support politicians who I believe are going to get the job done for the majority and not service the wealth and keeping wealthy people wealthy. So where does it come from, man? It's like you could be on a yacht right now. You don't have to be here. You could be in the Bahamas buying your own island, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yet you, you instead to like jump, like you, you jump into the public square anyway, right? Knowing that these people are going to come in there and call you disgusting and all sorts of these sock puppets, which is effectively what they are. Yep. And they just go, they just to rile you up, just to get your goat. Um, yeah, I mean, like, where does it come? It's like knowing all of this, like, you know, no, I mean, I mean, let's, you know, I mean, I hate to bring up the red line example, but there it is, right? I mean, it's like there, there is one where it's like you, you know, who you're staring down on the opposition, and you know where it's coming from, and Absolutely. yet you put on the waiters and go in the muck anyway. Because so there's there's a few different things. Um, like like we continue to say, what is your why? Um, the the reason why I do not uh, I do not give myself to one party. When I was growing up, we were on food stamps. And if it wasn't for Democratic programs, I wouldn't have made it out of where I was. Now I'm in business and I am doing things at a level that I never thought I could. So I understand some Republican financial uh, reasoning. And so I have benefited from things on both sides of the line. And, And so to me, it is important that coming from nothing and 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 becoming something just mildly successful has something um, is created a path that I want more people to experience. The problem is, is that right now in this country, I feel like the paths are being cut off. They're being when you look at the fact that affirmative action was overturned, DACA was taken away. The 8A program is under attack. Anything that is trying to help minorities or even the playing field is under attack in our nation where we're saying that, oh, diverse and equity and all this other stuff. But what you see happening is none of that. What you see is almost a falling back to previous times of, of open racism. And and I hate to say it, but when you look at let me let me back up. This is the way I like to say it. 
politics is like a pendulum and the pendulum goes um, equally in, in both directions. So when we elected President Obama, a black male, that was something that people like thought would never happen. But what you saw that was immediately following that the pendulum brought a Donald Trump. Yeah, that pendulum swung just as far the other way. And so what it has done is created an environment where my kids were going to school right here in Stafford, where they were being called niggers and all kinds of stuff on the bus because people felt comfortable doing it. Whereas in the past, it was hidden. It wasn't something that people did. Even if they felt that way, they didn't say it. But now they, they're they free to say it because leadership has said it's okay. Leadership has said, it, yes, you can say this and you can do that. And that's right here within the last two years. Yeah, I think what, case in point, Harvard, right? Um, Claudine Gay um, was released as, as dean. She wasn't fired from the re- university, re- obviously. Re- Resigned. No, no, she did oh, not from resign the dean, from the dean. No, she, 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 she was demoted from the dean's position. She's still gainfully employed by Harvard University. She's still right. receiving She's her still salary, all that. But Christopher Rufo was the one who sort of led the charge on this. Um, I, I think he's with the Manhattan Institute. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, he is. Um, but, but you know, he kind of put out this manifesto today where he's talking exactly what you were talking about. It's like the pendulum swung this way. This is the way the left has treated us for the last, since like 1968 to now. Now it's our turn, and we're going to swing it all the way. back back, which as a conservative, I mean, like, like, I mean, regardless as to where you are in Israel and Palestine, I think there was probably a more artful way of answering that question. I mean, genocide is not cool. Um, but on, on the other side with plagiarism, it's like, yeah, that's kind of a basic standard, right? I mean, I could, I could make that argument, but on those two alone, maybe it, like on the, on the up and up, I think you're okay. But when Rufo comes back behind it and drops the curtain and it's like, aha, this is the real reason why I did it. It was like you slammed the brakes on the love. It's like, like, what are we doing here? It's like, I mean, if you're going to call DEI or whatever, like bad because you think it's going to do X, Y, or Z. And I'm real big on the equity part. That comes with the Catholic social justice thing. So, and diversity and inclusion kind of come along with that. So that's, that's fine. But like, but if you're going to call that bad and then, but you're, you're just, all you're doing is driving the knife back. That doesn't seem like a win-win. That just seems like uh, somebody just, just turned, I mean, you see what I'm driving at, right? I I do. I do. And and the crazy part is um, even, to your your point within your um within your response you you mentioned conservative right mm-hmm. Let, let's look at just that word alone conservative conservative normally means that um the way things were the way um the way things were let's take them back to a simpler time is that fair? Uh, probably not, but I, I think for so so I, I understand what you're driving at, right? I mean, the conservatives tend to conserve what was, yeah, and liberals are trying to to sort of expand the sphere of freedom. Yes, in in the American example, like liberalism is kind of the default for both sides, and so conservatives are trying to conserve the, the, the that classical liberal idea, the that more perfect union, not a perfect one. But we're always kind of working on it. I think the the, the liberalism is, sees that and says, okay, like we're going to focus on the more and not the perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so, but, but to, the, to that point, though, I think you're seeing kind of this bifurcation of American politics where the definition of the right, I think, is, is what you're driving at. Yeah. It's yeah. starting to become much more populist and nationalist rather than conserving the good, beautiful, and true. I agree with that. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of where I'm getting at. It's, it's, 
it's to the point where um, when you look back at our at our history, when you say going back to a simpler time or a better time, going back was never a good or better time for minorities. It's always been a struggle, a climb or whatever. This is probably the best we've ever been. And this is still not equitable. It's still not fair. It's still not even, but this is still better than we've, than we've ever been. But when, when, uh, when we talk about trying to improve, it's, how do you, okay, let me say it this way. It's a hard thing to put your finger on, right? It, it is, but, but right now, diversity, equity, and inclusion is under attack from the um, Supreme Court and, and, and all methods of legality. But when you talk about what is legal, you're talking about the Constitution and what's derived from the Constitution. But if the Constitution already specifies that minorities are less than, and you're saying that I cannot implement a law that's, that benefits one race because that is unconstitutional, but the Constitution has already had us as less than, then anything that benefits a minority is going to be illegal. Anything that benefits a minority is illegal. Or, or at least like structurally like predisposed to, to one set for whom the, the structure was built for. Exactly. That, yeah. that's, that's exactly right. So when, when, when we have affirmative action, which was not to take qualified white people and replace them with unqualified black people, it was supposed to make sure that qualified black people had an opportunity or had an equal opportunity. And so I've, I've been in conversations where people say, well, they're giving qualified spots to those um, unqualified minorities. That's not what it was for. It was to make sure that if a minority person is qualified, that they're not overlooked because the people in selection don't relate or don't know or don't look like or can't deal with them. Right. And so and even if I was going to switch lanes and move into business, when I sit down in front of other businessmen that don't look like me, they they say things or not to me, but what I've. Well, I'm just not comfortable. I'm not sure he's a fit, whether it's my hair, whether it's my color, whether whatever it is. I this is a true story. I had a contract right here in this area. I won the contract and I showed up as the CEO the very first day to introduce myself. The man sitting behind the desk looked at me and said, how did you get in here? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> through the front door, back. like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what, you know, and he said, how did you get this contract? I ran my resume. I have a master's degree in cybersecurity. I, I spent 20 years in the military. I've been in business this long. I ran my resume. He sits back in his seat. He plays with his cufflinks, crosses his legs and says, no, really, how did you get in here? Right. Mm. At which time my COO, a white female, takes over the conversation. She jumps in, takes over the whole conversation. I never stepped foot back in that office again. She ran that contract for four years and, and we made the money. I actually wanted to file a complaint. The problem is, is if you file the complaint, I will never get another contract again. I'm a oh, troublemaker. Yeah. And so we were told, take the money and do good with the money, but don't make noise or you won't be successful. It's just one of those like living wells, the best revenge. 
but is it? But the, is it? But yeah, is exactly. It? And and so this and later on, this I did get revenge, not through me. Later on, an employee of that person filed a lawsuit against him and said that he promoted a hostile environment against women and minorities. She won the lawsuit. All this stuff is public. She won the lawsuit. She she won one dollar and got fired out of the organization and moved to another organization. He was still there. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And that was right here on Quantico, right here. And when that's what's happening and that's what's real to us, how do you overcome that? What are you supposed to do? So there's, that, a, I guess that's the real question. Like how, how, where, where's victory, right? What, what does it look like? Where, do, what does it look like? Where, where, you know, you look around and Vernon Green says, you know what, we did this, right? We, we are finally in a place where we're, we're treating each other in the content of our character and not from any other side category. And, and it doesn't go back to like, you know, a pendulum swing or anything like that. Like where's, where's peace? Where's stability? Where's respect? What it looks like to me is, um, and this is my personal, this isn't everyone, it's being impactful in a way that's going to have the greatest scope. And so although I don't want to sit in the seat, I want to use my power, impact, influence, and resources to put the right people in power so that they can have that scope and change how things happen within that scope. Um, Stafford County has been running a certain way for a long time, a long time. Um, I almost uh, I've I've done many interviews and I've told people it's the come here's versus the from here's and the from here's have been here in power so long. They've been here since it was a since uh, Garrisonville Road was a two lane dirt road. Right. Got it. But what I've also come to understand is that as Stafford has grown and become more sophisticated and have more complex problems, the from here's may not have had that experience in how to do the management, the, the the running of that type of um, organization where the, the come here's come with new ideas, fresh ideas. I've done this before, so forth and so on. And then there's a power struggle, the come here's and the from here's. I would say that the come here's have been gaining ground, but the from here's have dug in really hard to hold on to the power that they have. And so that's the way I describe the political environment here. Now, the good news is that I do see change. It is very small, but I see change from the time I got here in 2009 to where we sit in 2023. There has been positive change. But what I also see is that as we are now starting to have larger problems, for example, affordable housing, teacher salaries, traffic, some of these issues are being handled again, like the redlining comment. You know, do you want your property values to be decreased because we have affordable housing? Well, do you want your teachers to have a place to live because their salaries can't afford? We are the 11th richest county in the United States, somewhere around there. And if the teachers can't afford to live here, um, our, our, our grocery store people, our, 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 our service oriented career fields, if they can't afford to live here, then what are we doing? a lot of our teachers are leaving and going north because they're getting greater salaries. They're getting more money. They're, they're getting more resources. And we don't, we are not setting ourselves up for those types of conversations. Last point. As much as people hate to hear, we need to raise taxes. 
it is necessary in order to improve the services that the county can provide. Sure. And so when you have people that are fighting to keep it um, low, but then those people are still complaining about the resources, the schools and everything else, you can't do both. You have the reason why you're elected is to responsibly handle and manage these issues. If you were fighting just to, especially when you're fighting to keep taxes low just to stay popular or keep your seat. Yeah. That's where I have issues. Like the definition of a conservative is not no new taxes. It's pay your bills. Exactly. Right. That's what it used to be. But it's, to, to the DEI question again, it's, it seems like it's not like a, like a hill to climb. It's more of a, a mentality or a, a culture. Yeah. Would you, is that fair? No, to say that, that is that's, fair. that's what we're looking for here. And so it's, it, it's really not something that you accomplish. It's almost like, you know, a, you know, gardening or something like that. It has, it's a hedge that needs to be maintained. Uh, agreed. But when you have a governor that comes in and is for one of his first um, orders of business is to change the DEI uh, department, uh, take the word diversity out and equity out of it because he doesn't want that kind of talk. Or when you have people, um, the situation in Florida, it was very simple. They wanted the, the books out of the library because they didn't agree with it. And so uh, some one uh, uh, woman who disagreed with it started a whole protest, which ended up banning these books. And so when you it, it comes back to another conversation we had earlier off air. Good people get tired of fighting stupid fights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so good people will turn away. But in turning away, you're leaving the fight to the bad, to the bad guys. And so they are they're winning an area. Here's another one. Um, Louisiana, Louisiana just elected an openly racist person. um, And they have one of the. The largest minority populations. And so for this to happen means. The minorities in that place totally don't believe in the electoral system anymore, and they just turned their backs and walked away. But what has happened is now you have someone in charge that is openly coming after you. That's yeah, that's crazy. Megan talks about this from time to time. It's like you know, the, the, when the level of discourse reaches such a height, especially like so on the left, like climate change is a good example. And the, the, the discourse is here for so long, and yet nothing changes. Young people start losing faith in elections. Yes. Yes. And that's, I mean, you're, you're, and and to some degree you see it on the right, but not in the same way that I think you see it on the left where people are just losing hope. Yes. And, and losing hope. So I've been, every time we have an election, we do some kind of voter registration drive and some educational, um, but I've, I've had these very um, passionate arguments with people who tell me why they shouldn't vote or why they don't vote. And a lot of it has to do with lack of hope, lack of belief, lack of um, experience in in any positive change. And so I'd like to say, and, and, and I will continue to say this, participate and vote and then tell me that it doesn't work. Don't not participate and tell me it doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense to me. But a large part of this, too, Vernon, gets back to the fact, and I see this at the high school where I'm teaching now, right? It's not just that the kids have lost hope. They don't even understand the system that they're working in. They mm-hmm. don't They don't read around anything, right? You know, I, I, it, it stunned me. I mean, this past fall, I taught both at JM and I taught at Mary Washington. At Mary Washington, I was teaching journalism. The first night I walk into class and I say, 
all right, um, class on journalism, who do you like? Who do you read? Not one person in the room could name a single writer. Not Thomas Friedman, not anyone. It's like really you can't come up with one name. They, they can't do it, which gets me to something that, I, that, that I'm fascinated by what you're doing, because one of the programs that you're running uh, to get high school kids engaged and get them onto this cyber uh, career track. And you can talk about it far better than I ever could. I don't understand this. So I'm way out of my league here. But uh, do you see as you are helping these kids get their certifications, get themselves prepared to you know, to go after these kinds of goals and have these kinds of dreams and success stories, do you find that's also empowering the political side of it too because all of a sudden they have a little more of a stake, they begin to see the rub? So it's, I love that correlation that you just made. And and so a little bit about the program, um, Innovations uh, Pathway Program, um, which is backed by the Go Virginia, um, uh, the Go Virginia grant, which gave us, just under a million dollars to assist in this pro- program. So basically, as a business owner, I identified a problem. And that problem is there's not enough qualified IT people to fill the positions that I have. I have positions that are open that pay significantly, but we don't have people that are qualified to fill those positions. And as a small business, I'm competing with the big businesses for the talent that's out there. So we decided to be a part of the solution and get involved in some workforce development so that we grow a pipeline of young talent that is coming in. It's cheaper for me to hire. Um, the young, the youth seem to be very loyal to companies that invest in them. And so what we are doing, we've partnered with Stafford County Public Schools and we've partnered with several organizations, uh, Germana um, and a few other community colleges in all of the um, the the school districts of Region 6. Um, that is Fredericksburg, Stafford, um, King George, uh, Caroline. I'm missing one. Westmoreland, maybe, or, or Orange, or... It might be Orange, okay. but all of these areas now have the ability, because through their school systems, to sign up for these classes training for free. Um, it costs them nothing. Um, I've hired instructors. We have night classes. We have day classes. We'll teach them during their study halls. We do whatever it takes to get them the information. We have it online. We have live uh, instructors, whichever way they uh, learn best. And if they do well in these courses, we give them the opportunity to sit for the certification, which we also pay for. So they have the opportunity to come into cyber and IT and gain four um, industry standard certifications, CompTIA, IT Fundamentals, um, A+, Network+, and Security+. These are industry standards. And CompTIA came on board and partnered with us as well. They gave us their curriculums and they gave us reduced rates for their testing because they believe that we need to push this to a younger crowd. Cyber awareness and cyber IT needs to happen almost at the K through nine level, not at the nine through 12 level. We're expecting young people to decide their careers um, at earlier now so that we can get them the right educational opportunities so that they can get there further, faster, be more productive, make more money. Um, I want to give as many opportunities that I did not have. Um, Again, it comes back to the why. I remember just trying to 
get my first car and just so I can go to work. Um, I happened, I, I was one of those people that I had a child at 16 and I was doing everything I could to try and take care of my child and I, I needed help. Um, I needed a car, I needed a job. And, and those things were not, I didn't have somebody I could go to and say, hey, can I get an internship or hey, can I get some help here? I didn't have that. So I want to make sure that I provide those types of opportunities to people in my area that are looking to better themselves. They're trying and working hard to be better, but they just need an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's that's fantastic stuff. And we certainly need more of that. I'm kind of curious. I mean, again, like on the technology side and whatnot. Um, are, are you finding that at least like, like cybersecurity is another great example. This is like the, again, emerging field. Um, yeah, but, but you hear like it, you hear tech and all that. And people think of this 10 foot jump that they just can't get to that community college isn't going to get them through that university isn't going to get them through. Um, like, like, is it really that broad or is it one of these things where you need a certain mentality for it? Or is it like, look, I can take somebody with some willpower and train them how to do these things, and in 18 months, change your life. See, and that's what's crazy. Um, it is such a broad uh, career field. Um, I, I, it's funny, because I have some videos, and I'm going to share them with you. Um, I'll send you some links. But it basically speaks to the fact that if you can think logically, then you can do cybersecurity, because cybersecurity is a very a methodical approach to how things go. Um, I, I normally talk to students and I ask them things like, what is the difference between IT and cyber? And, and you know, well, well what is the difference? Well, um, when you get ready to do your job, the IT are all the tools that we give you to do your job. So the computer, the software, any applications, though, that's IT. But cyber is the defending of those resources so they cannot be used against you. You can't be exploited in that hardware, software applications. And those are two very different mindsets. I also tell people you're not going to go to school and come out and be a cyber professional because the truth of the matter is cyber is a compound thing. It's I can be a database manager. I can be a system administrator. I can be a software developer. I can. There are so many fields within IT. But when you start to take a collection of those fields and then add a security mindset or a defensive perimeter around it, that's when you get into cybersecurity expertise. And so you have to have experience in these areas be trained in a security mindset, and then apply all that before you ever get to become a cyber SME, subject matter expert. Sure. And so I tell people, yes, you can go to school and you'll learn some theoretical things. You may learn some hands-on things. But until you understand a lot, some subset of these other skill sets, it's hard for you to, to come in at that level. It's not an entry-level job. Sure, sure, sure. But it, it's it's... But if you work hard enough at it, you can get to it. You can if get there. I did yeah. it. Listen, I barely made it out of high school. I, I, I was the kid. <laughs> I got kicked out of school in the seventh grade, seventh grade for attempted murder. Um, I like legit attempted murder. Like you were, Oh my gosh. Legit attempted murder. Um, um, my father, uh, was in jail for molesting my sister and beating my mother and beating us. And so some kid at one of the local group homes comes up to me and 
in the in school and basically says, um, that's why your dad's in jail for effing your sister. And yeah, I jumped on him. I mm-hmm. did. I jumped on him. And when it was all over, he was um, he was in a concussion for six months. They pressed charges against me for attempted murder. They kicked me out of school. I didn't go to school from seventh grade until 11th grade. And and all that time that I was out of school, I had a tutor one day a week. I was in the streets. I was doing all kinds of things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. But that's where I was and that's what I had. And so um, I wind up having a child at 16. Um, I wind up trying to change my life around because having that child was probably and I don't I don't encourage this to anyone else. But having that child for me at that age changed my perspective. It wasn't about me. I needed to provide for my child. And that totally changed me. It made me want more. It made me um, want to change. And so in that change came um, the military, which provided a pathway. It became uh, education. Um, It became uh, a work ethic and, and trying to be better in a, a, a mental state a mindset as well as a spiritual mindset. And with all of these things, um, the triggers, they have yielded where I am now. And I love who I am now. I love the man that I am now. I love what I can do now. And so I tell people all the time, and I, I, I do a lot of speaking engagements. I don't care what situation you're in. Every difficult thing that comes to you builds character. It builds something in you. It, it makes something, it, it makes you a better person. And so those of us that have gone through difficult times, those of us that have had or lacked, um, they, they tend to come out on the other side. If they work hard and, and make something of themselves, if they become successful, they never forget where they came from. And, and, and to be honest, those are the type of people that I like to back for politics because they know what it feels like to be hungry, to not have. They know what it feels like to lack. And so when they get to these higher positions, they're looking out for those people that they know don't have. And they, they know they, they, they remember it and they don't forget it. But when you one of the problems in our nation's history is that it has always been run by the rich and the rich don't understand the problems of the poor. And so the policies and and the governing happens at a level that never benefits or helps the most majority of the people. How do we fix that, though? I mean, you think about the last gubernatorial election. You had two people living in two of the richest zip codes in America, right? Falls Church. Um, Youngkin's problems and McAuliffe's problems, they're not my problems. They're not your problems. They're they're certainly not the problems in rural Virginia or in Petersburg or anywhere like that. And and yet, somehow, they're expected to speak the same language that the working class speaks. Like, how do you? I mean, that's a tough nut. We haven't done. We haven't fixed that in two hundred and fifty years. I, you know? and I agree, and and it is a tough nut to crack. But what it comes down to is resources, and that that goes back to what I said earlier. The people who have the mindset that I believe will be successful in those roles, they don't have the resources or the backing. And so and that's because the parties will continue to back the people with the resources and the money. And so because money is ultimately the 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 defining measure, um, it is what everybody turns to or 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 leans to. And so I, I find it I think that 
it's improved in the fact that you have more candidates running that come from those types of places, but they don't have backing or resources to actually make a true impact in the race. And so that's where I think we are. We have to get I think that. The time of an independent winning is coming. We are closer to an independent winning than any other time. Oh, yeah. I believe that is is, is, is going to happen. But what I also um, yield to is that right now, in order to win, you got to be in one of the parties because they're going to back the TV. They're going to back the, the all the expenses that come. Yeah, it's a brand. It's a brand. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, you know, nihilism has had a true, like, you know, cooling effect across the nation. And I think there are a lot of people who continue to have issues with what they are seeing develop because whether it's Fox News, CNN or MSNBC, they're all trash. And <laughs> I mean, look at what's happening. It's all noise. Look, 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 look at what's happening right now. Joe Biden is being allowed to kind of skate through this situation without facing a single challenger whatsoever. And these people are helping him do that. So young people see this and it's like, this is not a real democracy. I can't even I, I can't even have choice because these entities are going to make sure that that choice is not visible. And during the last election, at least the last presidential election, they there was a version of this, whether it was against Andrew Yang or scooping out Bernie Sanders and taking away uh, some of his opportunities. But it's even worse this time around where we have this entire group of people who are running for president on the Democratic side and they're not given an opportunity to make their case. And even same even with uh, this using CNN as an example, again, um, they just you know, we got they, they're getting ready to do another uh, uh, Republican debate and they have unreasonable raise the standards to cut out the other people who are who are vying for the opportunity to run for president. You don't have to like, you know, like I'm not I'm no fan of Vivek Ramaswamy, but I think he's done enough to deserve an opportunity to be on that stage. But they're purposely, you know, scooping him out. And another big thing for me is, you know, I think that um, I think people need to understand that politics does run on money. But the true currency in America is uh, the access to power. And whoever has their hands on that lever, level, lever of power can determine whether your money is good or not anyway. And, and, and communities building coalitions within themselves, creating their own levers of power is really the only way that we're going to start to get around these things. And if this continues to happen, is this all someone just has to say, all, all someone has to do is just throw it up in the air like, you know, you're not one of us anymore. And then you lose all of your access and the ability to move things in your community. And I think that this is something that continues to happen and, and until that, like, I think that really, I think it's a really great idea. If anyone's listening, uh, I think there should be a class action lawsuit against these uh, against MSNBC, CNN and CNN and Fox News when they are when they are throwing a wrench into the democratic process. And we just have all of this corruption, this open book corruption that no one is addressing. And until communities do something about it on their own, this thing is going to continue. Yeah, if they can do it to RFK Jr., they can do it to anyone. Right? So yeah. to your point, the exact same thing happened here in Virginia. When, when our current governor was running, there were four or five minority, very good candidates. Jennifer Carroll Foy, um, uh, uh, McClellan. There were a lot of good minority candidates. But as soon as... 
McCullough. Yeah, Terry McCullough jumped, jumped in the race. It was the over. party told all of them to sit down, be quiet, oh, and yeah. you will support. And that's what I mean about the power of the party. These were good candidates. And when McCullough ran, all he said is, you don't want him. That's Trump's boy. There was no agenda. No, there was nothing put out. He ran on that's Trump's boy. And, and it, it, it didn't work. But all of those candidates were then told to sit down and, and, and just wait. And now I'm glad a lot of them have furthered. They're running now. I think Jennifer just ran, won her race. Um, McClellan is, is now appointed a senator. Uh, th- they've all continued. But when the party told them to sit down, they had no course of action. They had to do it. Yeah, I mean, and this Jim McClellan's eminently qualified to to run the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, it, it, Justin Fairfax is another great example, right? I mean, the Northam scandal breaks, yep. and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't want Justin Fairfax as governor, so, so we go with Mark comes, Herring. Some story comes out of the blue all of a sudden that was a self inflicted story. From the party, from his own party. It's from McCullough's handlers. Exactly. He came in there and did exactly. the... Exactly. So, so they go to Mark Herring. He's like, okay, are you ready for this? And then he has a scandal of his own. And they go all the way down to Doug Wilder and say, well, maybe we need to get Doug Wilder out of retirement. Just to deny Justin Fairfax, who, Justin, who, who eminently almost got screwed out of being lieutenant governor. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so when, when I see how um, within politics are some of the most racist actions and most racist activities. And it's not just outwardly, um, you're black, I don't want you. It's, well, we have this more qualified white person. And and, and that's just the feel of it. Yeah. And it keeps going that way. But, but even more so, I'm glad to hear or glad to see that these people are progressing, but they're still not, let me say it this way. Whenever there is a white candidate that is running, they always want to come get FaceTime with minorities. They want the picture. But then once the picture's done, I don't see them until the next election. Right. Well, right. This works on the poor side, too, right? Because my wife is from Martinsville, Virginia. And the thing that she and her family talk about constantly is that every time the gubernatorial race rolls around, here they come, rolling through Martinsville, rolling through South Boston, rolling through Danville, getting the photo op, and they don't hear about them again for four more years. Yeah, until until they want to raise their sales taxes, which is the most regressive form of taxation you could possibly inflict on the working poor. (laughs) It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, What was your second comment? Your second comment about people creating their own levers and access to power, right? I, I definitely agree with the comment that, that that access to power is the currency, but that same access to power is not working when the people in power just shut that access off at, at whenever they get ready. And so and, and I'll use myself as an example. Um, Governor Yunkin actually came to my office and made a donation to my nonprofit. He came to my office and donated a, a quarter of his salary to my nonprofit for the efforts that we do within the community. It was great. Right. Um, I had a conversation with him before we did it. And I said, I do not want this to be leveraged as a political ploy. I don't mind getting recognized for the work we're doing, but I don't want it to be used as a political um, a tool. I don't want to be handled in that way. And so what I did is I invited Democrats and Republicans to come out to that event, right? Um, thinking that I was going to balance the scales. 
No Democrats showed up because it was a Yunkin event. And then it was still he actually went live from my office and talked about, oh, the workforce development that we're doing and small businesses. It was great for my company. But what happened after that? Well, what a lot of people don't know is that I am governor appointed over the uh, Cannabis Equity Reinvestment Board for the Commonwealth of Virginia. So when I started to have issues with the governor's team because they were preventing us from meeting, we are by law required to meet twice a year. Every time I tried to put our meetings on the calendar, they disappear and they were gone. And it was because they had an agenda on what they wanted and they were preventing us from even meeting officially. And so now I've been sitting in this position for almost two years Without any course of action. And when I reach out to the governor's office and and I actually told them, I reached out to his press secretary and I said, if you guys don't fix this, I'm going to start talking about it. I'm going to start talking about how you're keeping me away from my legal obligation to at least meet. You will not allow it because you won't put it on the agenda. You won't put it on the schedule. So when power is there and you have access, but they can still pull it back. It is almost it's a puppet. It's a it's using us for what they need when they need us and then taking it back when they don't want to hear from us. And I agree with that. But you also you also gave the the answer as well. It's like there is recourse. It's just that the general public isn't always educated on those tools of recourse. And as a community, that is our job to make sure that we are spreading that around. Agreed. So so if we're going to make noise, that's why class action lawsuits are a thing. And there's a lot of different things that we can do, pulling together people that have had particular experiences and making it clear that one, you're not just a single voice that, that they can easily push aside, right. but we are actually getting the whole entire community involved. And that is something that we can do. And community has created amazing things in spite of the efforts of the government to shut down the ability to, you know, for our own self-preservation or whatever they want to disrupt, we have, we have done, we have been able to do amazing things through creating our own channels. And I think that, and I, and I I don't think there's a cap on the possibilities of that. We just gotta, we just gotta get everybody on board and make sure that we're talking and, you know, and how you're doing it through your business. We try to do the same thing through our business is one of the reasons why we run, why we help run this and why we're a part of the other things that we do because we don't believe that we can have a sound business without doing business in a sound community. And when that community is in trouble, it's important that we are on the forefront, hope, hoping to lead what we what we believe is going to be the best way forward. But we don't do it by ourselves. We do it by by uh, having conversations and educating ourselves when we are when we may be in a situation where we may be beyond our depth. Because I think it's one thing to know that there's a problem, and then another another skill to truly identify the problem. We don't try to speak up unless we are really clear what the what the situation is. Everyone, everyone in our community has the ability to create something new, and that's what they don't want any of us to do. They do not want any of us to be able to to believe that we can create the, 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 the that we can create our own levers. Right. They just want us. They want us. They want to funnel us into what they think that lever is, and it is up to us to disrupt that. And I come from a community my, that where that's that's well, that's what we did. Disruptors. My you know my my grandfather 
um, you know, built schools and things like that for his community in Albany, Georgia. And, you know, and even when he wasn't even able to vote, they did not stop. They did not stop uh, the, 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 the great communities in Albany, Georgia, from creating things for themselves to provide the need to provide needs for their own for their own um, for their own communities. So I believe that there are, I, I do understand that for a lot of people, it, it can seem really lofty. And that 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 lever seems really far away, but sometimes building your own conduit's the easiest way to do it. I yeah, agree. Totally agreed. Yeah, and I think it's a skill set thing too. So to the to everyone's point about really engaging young people and trying to combat the apathy that I think young people feel, I think it's an intentional choice that young people have been left out of of developing those skill sets, right? It's not just a passive, well, like no one knows how to do anything anymore, right? It's an intentional structural barrier that is put in place to try to prevent engagement in those levers of power and engagement in the types of, you know, um, developing the mindset and the skills and the resources and experiences that are going to cultivate the creation of those new levers as well. So to that point, <clears throat> I think February, I will be taking a busload of local students down to Richmond. I, I sponsor this trip every year. Normally, I've done it in partnership with the NAACP. Um, but this year, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in partnership with uh, uh, Joshua Cole. And we are going to take a group of students down to the Capitol to sit in on House and, and uh, Senate sessions to get them more um experience and understanding on how it works, on how they can be uh, of, of, of influence and of power, and hopefully to inspire some of them to want to run for office. It's, it's all about education, opportunity, and access. And if we can get them the access and the education, I believe that they'll take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, totally agreed. Because I mean, we did that with a set of students at St. Michael's, and just having just having them be in the building, yes, is sometimes enough. And we had uh, 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 Senator Rouse come and talk to the guys too, because we guy played football. All these guys are football players, most of them anyway. But like, this this is a place where you can belong. Yes, that's an important thing. It's an important thing. We miss that sometimes, especially at the local level. We really miss it. When you talk about come here's and from here's, yes. there it is, yes, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Marty, I've, I've really run over top of you tonight, dude, uh, because this is a great conversation I'm having here. Well, I'll tell you, you know what I've really done tonight is I've played good reporter, and what a good reporter does is listen. And, oh, my goodness, has there been a lot of really good stuff to listen to tonight. And, man, I would love to uh, – I would love to see this go on for another hour and 18 minutes and 45 seconds, but uh, worth every penny, sir. <laughs> worth every penny, but I think that uh, I think Corey would uh, probably take me out back and uh, string me up if I kept him here another hour and 20 minutes. Um, uh, Vernon, my goodness, man! Every time I talk to you, it just gets better and better. It's uh, it's it's stunning. Um, I, I I pride myself on being a person of quality, and quality is important. Um, I don't know everything, and I'm not saying I'm always right, but I'm always open to listen. I'm always willing to articulate what my point is and then hear what the other person is trying to say. And, and, and that's what I think is missing from our politicians and our government. Everyone is barking and they're talking, but no one's listening. They're, they're, they're drawing their lines, but they're not hearing. And so when it comes to politicians, I say, 
if you can articulate your position, if you can listen to the other side and you can compromise, then I am willing to support you. There's uh, Sean and I were having a good conversation over the Christmas holidays, right, where we, where we sort of came up with a line of um, one of the things that sort of helps us do that is that when you hear someone attacking, give them a little bit of grace. Mm. And when you are one on the attack, practice a little humility. Exactly. The combination of those two things are, are, are really quite powerful and can go a long way toward softening our discourse a little bit. And I, you know, after this marvelous discussion, I hate to come in here and hit you with a curveball. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a curveball, my friend. Um, what are you reading? So right now I am reading a book. Um, it's called Between the World and Me um, by Coates. Um, and to be honest, it's a very hard read. Um, it's a hard read because um, the book has a very negative tone, but it is a very realistic tone from the life that he has experienced. And, and in this book, he, he basically says um, that our nation is never going to turn around because there's nothing to make it turn around. Um, that there's nothing to force us to push equity into into care. It's a choice, and too many people choose not to. And so it, it's a father to a son shape, telling his son what it means to live in this world that we live in. And it's a very, very hard book. Um, but from the perspective of the experiences, um, I can relate. I can relate to what he's describing. I can relate to the uh, the police interactions. I can relate to another black man shot. I can relate to the, the what he is painting. And so what I will say is I, I fall short of not having hope. I do have hope that we can turn this around and that together we can do more. And so while the book is great, it's a great read, um, I, I fall short of falling on the outcome that he has lied, that he has laid out. Wow. Uh, that's what I'm going to add to my reading list for next week. So go ahead and mark me down next week. I'll be reading that one. <laughs> Full report, sir. Uh, absolutely. So Corey and Megan, what are you two up to? Uh, I'm still uh, running through The Squad by Ryan Grimm. Um, but I did buy a new one today. And this is uh, kind of stemming from the Jay Dilla kind of, you know, you know, journey I've been going on. Um, so uh, Questlove has a couple books out, but this is one in particular I was really interested in reading. It's called The Creative Quest, and it's just talking about like the philo- his, his some of his philosophies and just like creative pursuits, some things to keep in mind, some advice, things like that. Um, and um, there's a bunch of other people that are kind of in this book as well. So it'll be cool to kind of get everybody's uh, perspective, especially after coming off of you know the upcycle. Self by um, um, is that Tariq Trotter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, yeah Which but, is a great book, by the way. Real, that was awesome. That book. <laughs> I thought I knew that book was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be that, that good. good. Yeah, that good. And it's a shame that it's so short because I just wanted to hear more. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, between between uh, Tariq Black Thought and Amir Questlove, they both have an amazing, you know, kind of upbringing and, and, and not amazing is not always a great thing. Uh, but, but the, the, what they bring to the table has just been, this has just been amazing to listen to these guys talk and, and, and really help you understand like how they became who they became. Like you, <laughs> you don't want that, but the, what they're doing with it is absolutely amazing. So yeah, looking forward to diving deep into that one. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I also just finished uh, The Upcycled Self. So actually, I would highly recommend it on audio uh, because he reads the book himself like oh, for cool. the audio okay. version. And it's it, it's a really not only a great read, but I think the way that he communicates the narrative, it's it's as if you're like at the table having a conversation. So I highly recommend that. Um, so we finished that. Well, I, I, we listened to it. Corey listened to it again and I listened to it for the first time, um, over the holiday, but I'm also, um, currently just picked up, um, a book, uh, called Breath Eyes Memory by Edwige Danticat, who's a Haitian American author. Um, she writes a lot about women's stories, Haitian women's stories. Um, and so we're, we're coming up actually on the anniversary of, the earthquake in Haiti. Um, and so uh, around this time of year, I just always try to dip into to stories that are, you know, gonna, it sounds weird, but kind of bring me back to that event. And it's like a little piece of home that I can't really access right now. So Dantica is one of my favorite authors, great author for young people as well. Um, and just a really excellent storyteller. Her works are very moving. So I highly recommend. Cool. Sean, how about you? I am reading uh, The Cause by Joseph Ellis. It's uh, sort of an eight-year history of the American Revolution, contrasting it with the French revolutionaries who tried to get it all at once and do it perfectly the first time versus the American revolutionaries who did it very slowly in bits and pieces and pragmatically. Um, that, of course, has a cost on either side. Um, Ellis isn't a very big fan of the Virginians. Um, he's constantly beating up on the Commonwealth. I'm, I'm a little hurt, but um, it's, it's good reading so far. I'm about halfway through. Well, I'm, um, I'm getting ready to launch into the new biography of Martin Luther King, which was just rated as one of the 10 best new books of the year. I'm, nice. Uh, it's, it's on its way from Amazon, but I've got the Audible version down. I'm starting to listen to that. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of King, and so I'm looking forward to diving into that. I'm still reading Fear Itself, this reinterpretation um, of the New Deal, which I'm enjoying. Uh, but I've also, uh, it's that time of year for me where I get to have a little fun. Uh, so I have a, a wonderful collection of the best baseball writing from Sports Illustrated. So I am nice, and I'm, I'm in my uh, hot stove league kind of world. I don't play, I don't play rotisserie baseball and that kind of thing. But this time of year, I love to to read about baseball. So I'm um, I'm, I'm just kind of digging into that and, and dreaming of uh, how many days and greener days. How many days until pitchers and catchers report? I don't know how many days till pitchers and catchers to report. I am afraid to say. I know it's in early February. I apologize. I'm, I'm falling off the bandwagon <laughs> here a little bit, but uh, it is that time of year. Get, ask me next week. I'll be able to tell you. The it's coming. That's all that matters. It, it is. It is coming. So, so with that, we wrap up another edition of the New Megan Podcast. It's been a phenomenal night, Vernon. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share your both your experience and your knowledge and your expertise. Uh, it's been a, an eye-opening ceremony. Or eye-opening experience for all of us, I think. And Sean, my goodness, man, when you get on a roll, yeah, I'm on a you roll, roll man. baby. I loved it. <laughs> I've had a well, great time listening to you tonight. You were awesome. Well, I appreciate that. It's just like sometimes I just enjoy hearing the sound of my own voice. Maybe I don't know, but no. But the, the, again, you, you, you get excellent. I mean, with Vernon, I mean, great conversation. We got to do this like absolutely like over lunch or something like that because it's, it, it's it's been great listening to you. Thank just, you so much for having me. I greatly enjoyed this, and I would gladly let we can continue the conversation. Uh, it's iron sharpens iron. Exactly. I, I think uh, I think Capital L may be calling. <laughs> 
uh, and Megan and Corey again. Happy New Year to the two of you. Uh, thank you so much again for all you've done for us this past year. And we are so excited about everything coming ahead in the year ahead. I think some some pretty phenomenal things were about to happen this year. Yep. Happy to be here. <laughs> yes, and Happy New Year to all of you and to all the listeners. You know, it's been a great journey and we're glad to be a part of it. So with all of that, we're going to say good night. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone out there. We will be back next week. And oh, my goodness, watch the pages of the advance for some really interesting stuff coming out next week. That's right. With that, have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.